Software Engineering Radio, episode 115, Architecture Analysis. This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions and interviews on software engineering topics every 10 days. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for support. Welcome to another episode of Software Engineering Radio. Um, this is an episode about software architecture analysis. And today we are talking to Bernhard Merkle. Welcome, Bernhard. Hi. So, uh, Bernhard, um, well, I was about to say, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? But we got feedback which said that I shouldn't say, why don't you blah, blah, blah. So. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay, thank you, Markus. Um, my name is Bernhard Merkle. I'm working at SIG AG. Uh, the company name is real, also for English native speakers. Yeah, SIG. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, but the founder was Erin SIG, and we are producing uh, laser scanners mainly. We are the leader in the sensor area, and uh, my job is in the central research and development department, uh, software engineering, and I'm responsible for tool selection, mm-hmm. uh, development processes, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And in, in that context, you have been evaluating and working with software architecture analysis tools in the recent past. That's that's right, yes. We have looked at several uh, tools and we had also the, the problem that the software architecture of our program decayed over time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a common problem. Right. So the plan for this episode is to first um, outline the problem, which is basically the the decay of software architecture, which all of you listeners probably know is a problem. And then we're going to look at the analysis tools and how they can help. So why should we care about uh, software architecture analysis? I think in lots of problems, there happens an architecture decay or architectural erosion of software. And... uh, As we will see, we are not alone in our projects. We have also some uh, prominent representatives and even some uh, well-known projects like uh, Eclipse or like Java, which have some kind of architectural erosion. And the question is, how do you check uh, architecture? Is there some process? Is there some tool that you are using? And do you care about architecture at all? I think in most projects, when you approach the release, you will build in workarounds, yep. things like that, and you will violate the original planned software architecture, yep. and later on you will not remove that violation. Yeah. So, so the, the, the thing we're going to look at is that somebody, and we're not going to define who that is, the architect or an architecture team or an agile team, defines how the architecture should look like, and then we want to check whether the actual code conforms to that architecture. Yes. Okay. Before we do that, we should probably define what architecture is. Software architecture uh, definition I like is from IEEE. And it says the uh, software architecture is a fundamental organization of systems embodied in its components, their relationship to each other and the environment and the principle governing its design and evolution. And I think the important words are organization of the system components, the relationship between them, and the evolutionary part of that yeah. 
of that process because that is the topic where the most problems yeah. arise during projects. Yeah, defining an architecture is easy. Yes. Keeping it alive during the project is not that easy. Exactly. Yeah. And as we shall see later on, uh, we will be able to formulate uh, those topics like organization, relationships in rules, which we can check against mm -hmm. our current code base. Mm -hmm. I think there are two related topics we should we should briefly mention to 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 delineate from what we're doing today. One is that software architecture documentation is not what we're talking about. Writing a word document is not mm -hmm. verifiable, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And the other thing is model-driven development. Can you say something how that relates? I worked in model-driven development and I'm also a big fan of the model-driven software development process. But I think it has also some limitations, especially on the tool side. There's not so much selection. There's upcoming support, there's Eclipse, there's open architecture, yeah. things like that. Um, but there are lots of projects, at least it's my experience, which are developed in a, say, traditional way so without yeah. models without code generators so people are hacking code in their editor compiling it and at some time they will violate the uml diagrams some or model yeah. uh, some other people have drawn for them yeah and um, the model driven software development approach is a is, is very good in my opinion but it has some open items Uh, for example, modeling languages. For most people, UML is too general, but yeah, there are sure. only few IDEs which really support the DSL approach right. with, with its uh, own meta model, yep. etc. Also, another problem is good integration of legacy software. Should you reverse engineer? Right. What do you get at addi as additional information from the from the code level in the model you need some kind of abstraction to yeah. gain something in the model i think that's the that's the central challenge i mean if you do model driven then i guess the need for a lot of this architecture analysis goes away but if you do classical approach or if you have legacy systems mm. then the model driven approach doesn't mm. help you much mm -hmm. and i even would extend uh, that argument even if you do model driven software development you have to verify Uh, with a certain approach that uh, uh, architecture uh, is followed in your model. So you have some kind of model verification. That yeah, but that would be a different tooling. Yeah, yeah. So then let's look at uh, the core topic of this episode, which is architecture analysis. You called it uh, architecture linting. Maybe you want to explain where this comes from? Yes, it comes from uh, the, the... I think it's one of the oldest tools in the software development. That's why I'm asking you. Our audience maybe doesn't know. Yes, <laughs> the lint tool is one of the static code checkers, which is, I think, around for about 20 years now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's still there, PC, PC lint, uh, for checking C and C++ code. And the ar architectural analysis is a static analysis approach. Mm -hmm. uh, so I called it also linting software architectures. Right. Of course, the static approach has some limitations. If you do things or tricks at runtime, if you use reflection in Java or DLL yep. in C++, uh, you can have some violations in your architecture that you will not right. be able to find with static analysis in the first approach. However, there is some, some tools that is support that you can feed in information about what reflection is used, right. what classes are used, yep. etc. Okay. To further structure the discussion, you have you have come up with a, a set of levels or, or, or kinds of or of static analysis and we can use that to, to explain what we're doing here and what we're not doing. So why don't 
I shouldn't say this. I'm it's probably true. I say this too often. Why don't you <laughs> explain those levels? So I explain those levels. No problem. <laughs> the goal on all levels is to find and avoid problems and to increase the quality and also to measure it. Three different levels we can uh, distinguish in static analysis. Uh, the first I would call micro level. It's the really code level, which yeah. you can uh, check with rule sets like Mithra-C. It concerns things like uh, code layout, brackets, certain risky statements that you should yeah. not do in certain programming language. Check for now. Correct. Yeah. The next level would be the macro level. This concerns things like class design, rules you know from books like Scott Myers, Joshua Bloch, yeah. etc. Effective C++, Effective Java. So that concerns things like you should pass by reference and things like that. So actually those macro level is more difficult to check than the micro level mm -hmm. because it involves more intelligence of right. the um, programmer. <coughs> so tools have difficulties to check that or yeah. are some kind of noisy at that level. Yeah. And the interesting thing is at the next level, at the architecture level, things become easier. Easier so again, yeah. On the architecture level of static analysis, we are talking about layers, graph architecture, layer architecture, subsystem, components, yeah. interfaces, yeah. and things like coupling between modules, dependencies, etc. Yeah. And just to connect to the previous episode on static analysis we've had, um, that basically looked at what you would call the macro level mainly. Yes. Correct. So that was, you know, building a state based model of what the program does and that and that stuff. So um that's that's that. And and today we're talking about the, the architecture level. What can you do with architecture analysis? We can do different kinds of architectural analysis. You could also uh, call them different use cases right. for architectural analysis. One is consistency analysis. The idea is that you check the intended architecture as you or originally planned it against the existing architecture, which is effectively your code base. Right. So you find some, some inconsistencies usually between them and you have to deal with them. Yep. The second one is rating architecture. So you s say something about the internal software quality of your architecture. Is there a high dependency coupling? Yep. Do you have antipatterns, bad smells, things like that? Yep. The third one is discovering uh, architecture. Yep. Maybe your project lead or your architect from the project has gone and there's no <laughs> documentation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not so uncommon. No, no, I know. Case. And then you have to discover the possibly if there is one architecture. Yeah, you that's the discover. reverse engineering thing. Yes. Then another interesting topic is what I call measure the real facts. Yeah. In effect, this is, this is uh, collecting some metrics about your architecture, accounting packages, uh, etc. Yeah. It's an important uh, topic because uh, you cannot control what you cannot measure. And I think most of the people are not measuring or do not collect numbers at all in, right. in projects. Yeah. Okay, and the last one is monitoring changes. Over time, you have some trend the architecture decreases, packages are added, coupling is in, uh, increased. When you're monitoring change, you have uh, a chance to reverse the decay. Yep. Okay, so um, we're going to talk through each of those five use cases. We're going to start with a consistency analysis. As we said before, the idea is to check um, the existing code structure against some kind of architecture definition. Yeah. 
that requires that you somehow define what the architecture should be. How do you do that? You do that in a um, kind of architectural language, which is at the moment tool-specific. Mm -hmm. And even some of the tools, when we come later to the tools, right. we'll see that some of the tools uh, have even no way at the moment. Uh, but most of the tools, fortunately, have ways to define the architecture. So you don't use UML or some other modeling language. What you do is you, for example, in Java, you collect a package to a component and you say you are allowed to have dependencies between component A and component B or only between interfaces to that component, things like that. So, so you define that a set of packages, you define that to be a component and then you do dependency analysis between those sets, aka components, Okay, right. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the idea. So you define the, the should architecture in some kind of modeling, let's call it modeling language or yeah. some kind of architectural language. It's not so formal. It's actually a set of constraints. Yeah, yeah. yeah. correct. Then you extract the is architecture, on the other hand, from your existing code base. Right. So to gain um, the real information from, from that process, you have to have some a uh, parser that parses your mm. your your bytecode or your uh, C++ code yep. and extracts the is architecture and then you do a comparison and get a diff architecture and derive some actions. Mm -hmm. And the action would be you have to remove this dependency to conform to the architecture, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it may be possible to fix yeah. uh, architectural yeah. violations. Sometimes yeah. it uh, may even be impossible because yeah. you have delivered the interfaces to some clients. Right. And once you get these actions, what you basically do is you, you do a refactoring of the architecture to, to, to conform to the rules. Yes, you do a refactoring in the large, we call yeah. this. So it's not a refactoring on the, um, on the attribute level or right. the method level. Uh, essentially, it's a refactoring on the class level or package level or even component level. Yeah. And you redesign, for example, some packages. You get information how much violation uh, do you have. And uh, you can derive some strategies. For example, if you have a bidirectional dependency, you can yeah. see where the number is lower and yeah. try to uh, remove yeah. it in one way. Yeah. So, of course, what I, what I really want is, you know, in the Eclipse world, control F1 or con control one actually, and then quick fix, and then fix my architecture. Can the tools do that? Or is it, is it basically manual work to, to fix the, the violation? At the moment, no. The tools could, uh, for trivial cases, um, make some suggestions or some hints, but normally the intelligence of the designer is uh, still needed. Yeah. Uh, let, let me ask one thing. I am a little bit... So, okay, so I am skeptical about... Okay, I do, I, well, I agree that these tools are useful. No, no, no discussion. However, I kind of object to the idea as defining an architect to just be uh, a set of components and their dependencies. There is more to architecture than just dependencies. So my question is, what kinds of constraints can you actually define? You, you said before yet that you, that you collect a bunch of packages into what you call a component and then you'd say from that component there can only be two uh, dependencies to interfaces in that other component. What else can you do? I mean, can you give us a couple of examples of the kinds of things you can check with these tools? The tools even go further. As I said, there are um, additional aspects like, for example, anti-patterns or bad smells that mm -hmm. you can detect. So if you have uh, dependent base classes, certain tools are able to detect this and uh, give you a warning so you can remove this or try to remove that that anti-pattern. 
Also, if you look at metrics, I think it's um, important to keep an eye on yes. on uh, on that area. You usually make a threshold and mm -hmm. identify some outliers of that of that area mm -hmm. and fix that classes with too much public attributes, things like that. Yeah. What the tools give you is basically an awareness of the problem. Right. But but you have to define what the constraints are and you have to fix the problems yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it identifies the violation, where it is, the quantity, right. how much. Yeah. The impact has to be determined by you and yeah. also if the um, handling of the violations is possible. The tool can export a list with possible modifications right. so you fix them later or you can even automate this maybe in future and some tools even allow you to do virtual refactoring ah, so you, that? you can move for example classes or packages in advance ah. and recomputate the violations on the ah. virtual refactoring so you don't do this actually in the code you yeah. do it just in a simulation and yeah. look if it gets better or worse. So the way this works is um, that those tools actually parse the code into some kind of data structure database and you do the refactoring on that data structure. Right. right. And um, my uh, experience was that, uh, for example, a lot of violations can even be uh, removed with moving some packages or some classes to other levels of a layered architecture. Right. So I guess that concludes the consistency analysis part. Um, the next one was the rating of architectures. What's that? So the rating of architectures does not concern any external requirements. Uh, it concerns the internal quality of your software. So do you have cycles in the, in the software? Is there, what is the stability? Do we have tight coupling, anti-patterns, bad smells, things like that? So, so in that case, you don't define your own constraints and architectural rules, but rather the tool comes with a set of predefined smells. Yes, the tool comes with a predefined set of smells and anti-patterns. Right, and, and finds them in your code. Yeah. Other things you can uh, look, for example, is can I extract certain things from mm -hmm. my architecture or can uh, certain modules be reused independently? If the tool comes with a set of predefined uh, anti-patterns or smells, uh, can it do automatic refactoring in that case then? No, they're not yet there. Okay. They can, for example, detect a dependent base class, which mm -hmm. is a common anti-pattern. Yep. And the interesting thing is that if you look at real code, for example, Eclipse or JDK, mm -hmm. you can find that the uh, anti-pattern dependent base classes is nearly two classes per thousand in, in Eclipse 2.1 and 16 per thousand in mm -hmm. JDK 1.4. Mm -hmm. So that's it's kind of interesting if you apply those tools to a large code base. And, and, and again, in that case, the tool gives you a list of problems and, and, and or diagrams or gives you makes you aware of the problem and then you fix it. Yes, the representation are different among the tools. Some tools uh, represent those things only in numbers. Mm -hmm but some also represent them in uh, graphical ways because sometimes one or the other approach is more appropriate. Right. So if you draw, for example, the dependency uh, of classes and packages that depends on each other, for example, in the JDK, uh, you s see uh, nearly a big ball of mud right. when you <laughs> look at a, a class.zip or the runtime.jar, yeah. which says something about the maintainability. Yeah. It also says something about the notation because it doesn't help you much. Too much information, I guess. It's too much information. Often the important point is to 
get the right things. So uh, mm -hmm. one important point is to uh, thrill down, for example, from component to package to class mm -hmm. to the actual violation where it happens, mm -hmm. and to to go back to the to the top level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, the important point of aggregation, right? Right aggregation of the results mm -hmm. and presenting them either in numerical or in graphical way. So you can see the violations on a very very macro level. And only if you want to know where the real problem is, you drill down. Right. As opposed to showing everything all the time. Yes, because then you yeah. lose, sure. you, do a, you are lost in yes. space. The next topic is discovering an architecture. Again, I think it's, it's mostly about making the users aware, visualizing things, right? Yes. Sometimes the architecture is, say, implicit. So there's no, no good documentation or the um, architecture left, the, the architect left the project. So you have no documentation of the existing architecture and one use case is discovering an existing architecture in your uh, source code. Mm -hmm. So that's not the main usage of those tools, but it's a, it's a possible uh, use case. Back in the days, there was a tool called Sniff++. Is it that kind of stuff? It's that kind, kind of stuff, but okay. uh, extended with additional things like, for example, graph layout. Uh, for example, if you look at interfaces or derived classes, you can see which clients are using me, am I used in the right way, right, yeah. which interfaces are not used at all, so I can adapt yeah. my API and make additional yeah. design decisions. Helps you find stuff that nobody uses so you can deprecate or remove it. Yes. Of course, you have a high-level cross-referencer uh, like you had in Sniff and actually one of the... Um, Creators of such an architectural analysis tool uh, is Walter Bischofsberger, who did the original uh, Sniff implementation at Take 5. Ah, I didn't know that. I knew that Walter Bischofsberger works on, I think it's Sotograph, right? Yes, it's Sotograph. Yes, but I didn't know that he was uh, the Sniff person. Yeah. Okay, um, to discover the architect. Well, okay, here's the problem. Discovering the architecture is the classical reverse engineering problem because you want to rediscover the intent of how the architecture should look like from the low-level code. And as we both know, that's not trivial. So how good are these tools? What, what can they actually do? Is it basically, um, again, defining components and then abstracting or aggregating things on component level? Uh, they are pretty good at uh, that job, I think, because they're using some kind of intelligent uh, layout mechanism. For example, if you look at inheritance or core relationships, you can apply different graph algorithms and see the structure so you you uh -huh. see your your central abstractions in a diagram on the one end and the more concrete classes uh -huh. on the other end uh -huh. so you can identify central abstraction mechanisms so what you're saying is that one of the big advantages of these tools is that they give you a very good visual clue of what's going on they don't really infer much they really just show you things in a way that you can infer things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Solves the problem of trying to understand what the original person wanted. Measure the real facts, metrics. Um, use case number five, I think. Metrics are numbers, and numbers yes. can also lie, but they can also say some kind of truth. So metrics are, for me, indicators of quality, understandability, maintenance. So measured numbers that can say something about your existing code base. Some trivial examples are lines of code, circulometric complexity, uh, things like that. But I think more interesting are metrics like the invented from Robert Martin, abstractness, instability, 
inheritance thefts and things like mm -hmm. that. Number of overwritten or implemented methods. I, I guess the problem with metrics is that there are so many of them. So I think that the challenge is to select the right ones. Right. The challenge is to select the right ones, to filter all so them, them out. So you have yeah. to categorize them and good tools don't just throw you with numbers. They categorize, present them in a way that you can use them in a useful uh, way. Mm -hmm. But I think, nevertheless, they are important because you have to do some measurement how your software evolves over the time. And I think at the moment, lots of people are not doing this at all. Is it fair to say that the real value of metrics is not their absolute number, but how they evolve over time? You know, is it bad that you have a cyclomatic complexity of 7? Or should it be 11? Or is 11 already bad? Should it only be 5? Isn't it more interesting to see that yesterday we had 5, now we have 7, tomorrow we have 9? Is it the trend that is more important or is it the absolute number? Because I tend to think it's the trend. Uh, the trend is, of course, also important, but I think the absolute number also says something uh, about your classes. So my experience was that uh, outliers usually were also mm -hmm. candidates that caused a lot of design problems or right. maintenance problems. Mm -hmm. Of course, there may be some good reason why there is um, such a number And more advanced tools can even define a own quality model. So depending on your project, you can adjust the values or depending on the programming language or mm -hmm. component infrastructure you're using, for example, EGB, yeah. Cobra, etc., yeah. you can adapt those numbers and filter out mm -hmm. things that you're not interested in. And the tools are able to monitor things over time, but I guess that's the next point, I think. Most of the tools are uh, able, and I recommend that you only yes. use something yes. uh, that, that yeah. monitors that uh, yeah. over time. Yeah, I think that was probably a really good bridge to the next topic, which is monitoring changes. So the idea is to see the trends, and as we saw in the last topic about metrics, it also influences your quality. Yeah. So with monitoring over time, you can see what new artifacts are coming into your project. You also see new dependencies, new architecture violations, and the idea is to correct those violations before they yeah. really burn into the the code base. Yeah, and it's the same thing with testing, right? If you If, if the test fails five minutes after you did something bad, you can still remember what you did. Yeah. Same thing here. Yeah. Also interesting is, I think, that most outsourcing projects uh, I know of mm -hmm. are not monitoring uh, such things at all. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, it's a must-have for controlling uh, right. a project. Yeah, I agree. So I guess this was the theoretical part, what, what the tools can do and what you should use them for. The next part of the discussion is looking at certain tools. You have evaluated a number of them, and we're going to talk a little bit about your experiences. Mm -hmm. You can distinguish them with certain features. For example, some tools have methods to describe architectural rules, other just display the architecture as it is, and you yeah. don't have any means to uh, formulate the architecture. They also differ in how they present the results, for example, in numbers or uh, in mm -hmm. graphical way, the granularity. IDE integration is also a right. topic. Yep. If you see the violation right in your Eclipse, yep. it's much more easier. And also things like automation is scriptable, yep. command line, yep. IDE integration. Is so let's define the, uh, the optimal tool, right? What you want is 
You want to be able to define your own architectural constraints. Right. You want very fancy graphical layout to make you aware of what's going on. You want trend analysis. You want IDE integration. And right. you want to the tool to be easy to use. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> and bug-free and yeah. fast and, and all that. Yeah, okay. So some tools I have looked at is, for example, Sotograph from yeah. Software Tomography. Yeah. That's a company we uh, mentioned uh, before. Walter Bischofsberger is right. the CTO yeah. of that. They recently merged with uh, Sonaj. The company is called Hello Tomorrow. Right. So that's an interesting merger because, uh, as we'll see, one tool is more developer-centric, IDE, and the other is more for the architect mm -hmm. in the standalone version. Okay. So I think it's a good merger. Next one is uh, Bauhaus, Axivion. It's a, a spin-off of a university. Mm -hmm. Then Structure 101 from Hathaway Software. Mm -hmm. Latix. Clockworks is not mainly an architectural analysis tool. It's more a lint-like tool. Yeah, I know we've had it on the list on the static analysis episode. But it has also a small part where you can uh, formulate or discover architectures. Right. And there are a bunch of open source projects we should mention. Xrudder. Thermal code, code for CSoft, yeah. etc. So, um, okay, which one do you wanna? Of course, first we should uh, mention there are even some basic approach that you don't, you, you can do something without tool support to um, avoid uh, architectural decay. For example, maintain your make system yeah. look, <laughs> which uh, dependencies you have. Yeah. Of course, on a very coarse uh, level. There are some simple tools like MakeDepend, JDepend, and for example, uh, IDE-specific solutions like the Eclipse uh, Java build path where you can enter patterns for packages that you can use or not yeah. use. From, from how you talk, it sounds like you mostly work with Java. Are the tools Java-specific or are they generally language-independent? Uh, uh, no, most of the tools support uh, some kind of Java and C, C++, and okay. C Sharp. Okay, so the typical uh, stuff. The typical stuff. Some also support additional languages. Okay. So, Sotograph, first one. Sotograph is, in my opinion, a very powerful tool. It's one of the most advanced, but also a complex tool. So you have some time to get used to it. Mm -hmm. It displays the infos via graphs and via numbers. It has some really useful layout algorithms. Mm -hmm. And um, it's known since, I think, 2003. Yeah. And as we said, the former Sniff++ guy, Walter Bischofsberg, is one of the main implementers yeah. and uh, designers of Sotograph. So yeah. there's some deep knowledge in that yeah. area. Yeah. The data is stored in a MySQL database. You, mm -hmm. can, you can access that. It's the open schema. You access that with a fat GUI client written in Java. There's mm -hmm. a Sotograph and a SotoArc. SotoArc is a new tool, which is, was invented 2007. It's more user-friendly. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have also a web report mm -hmm. and a, a bunch of metrics, about 200 uh, trend analysis, virtual refactoring, and parser for C, C++, Java, and C Sharp. Mm -hmm. Any disadvantages except for uh, the time it takes to get into it? It's very powerful, and then that's uh, also one of the disadvantages. So you can get lost, mm -hmm. uh, for example, in too much metrics. So you have right. to know where you want to look at. Mm -hmm. Can you give us 
a feeling of the language that's used to define the architecture? Is it something OCL-ish, or how does it feel? You know, this this constraint definition language thing. Actually, there are two tools, um, Sotograph and SotoArc. Mm -hmm. In Sotograph, you used some kind of Java language. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the Java bean shell, mm -hmm. um, where you described which components are composed from which right. packages and to which layer they uh, are allowed. And then you can define the um, constraints. And this was checked against the information in the database. Mm -hmm. Now with SotoArc, you don't do that anymore in uh, syntax. You do that graphically. Oh, you basically and drag and drop extra. things. And yeah, and the uh, uh, description is actually generated mm -hmm. into the um, former Soto. Oh, oh, so in other words, SotoArc is a graphical user interface to graphically define the specifications that you formerly wrote manually in SotoGraph. Right. Ah, okay. Next one is the, uh, what is it, the Bauhaus Suite? Bauhaus Suite is from uh, Axivion. Axivion is a spin-off of University Stuttgart and University Bremen. Mm -hmm. The tool itself is similar to Sotograph in many points. One difference, it's not database-based, uh, it's more file-based, mm -hmm. and it has not so um, easy user interface. Mm -hmm. The advantage is it's uh, Supports more languages, for example, mm -hmm. also Ada, Cobol, Visual Basic, and the tool itself. It's written in Ada. Maybe that's also what? in Ada. <laughs> so maybe that's the reason that the GUI is not so nice at the moment. Wow. Uh, however, there's cool Python scripting, so you can uh, integrate that in your continuous build mm -hmm. uh, process and mail, for example, the uh, things you find out. Mm -hmm. It supports the usual things we discussed, architectural violation, architectural checking, metrics, clone detection, cycle mm -hmm. detection, dead code detection. Mm -hmm. The difference to Sotograph is that you even can define the architectural rules on a more fine level. That would be the, the, the macro level then. Yeah. Sonar J? Sonar J is definitely a Java-centric uh, tool right. only. It uh, has no graphs and it's, uh, let's call it in-memory DB. So it has mm -hmm. essentially no no MySQL database. Everything is kept in memory. Mm -hmm. It's very developer-centric. So it's a Eclipse uh, plugin. And the architecture meta model is um, also manifested in the, in the tool itself. So you have uh, the vertical oh. and the horizontal layer and you divide the technical part in the horizontal and the uh, business part in the vertical layer. So, but the, so, but the, the layers themselves are user-definable? They are user-definable. Oh, oh, oh yeah. okay. So it, it just has, so what's, what's baked in the tool is the, the matrix, basically, but not the, the specific set of layers, like data access, UI. Okay, that's not mm -hmm. it. Okay. And it has some basic support for uh, complexity checks, so there are not so much metrics, but you can set some thresholds. There's no trend support at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, weak, weak metric support, but it's uh, very developer-oriented and it's, uh, as I said, it's an Eclipse plugin and you get immediate feedback mm -hmm. from the violations you are coding into uh, the source base. And that's con compared to Sotograph where you basically, you know, you pour the source code into it, it works for an hour and then gives you a bunch of diagrams. Yeah. So next one is Structure 101. That's um, 
company in uh, US and Ireland. Mm -hmm. They have a standalone client, which is Java-based, supporting languages like uh, Java and C++ in cooperation with Coerity. Coerity is a yeah. static analysis code analyzer and programming research is producing QAC. So they're in cooperation with them. And uh, I think the ADA version is planned also. Results are represented as dependency structure matrix, as in Latix, so mm -hmm. numbers in uh, matrix, and also in a graphical way. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is they have also a web application called Structure 101 Tracker, mm -hmm. um, and they have even some uh, repository on their website where they analyze open source, the ah. architecture of open source uh, projects. So at the moment, I think you find about 10 or 20 projects which are uh, checked there at a regular base. It's mm -hmm. the same approach that Coerity does with static analysis of C and C++ code for open source um, projects with the SCAN uh, initiative. And, 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 and why are they doing it? Is it to show off their tool or is it to do a favor for the open source tools to do them a favor and, and tell them where their problems are? <laughs> I think it's both. Okay. Uh, maybe more the first yeah. uh, topic to gain uh, more visibility in okay. the market. But I think it's a good idea to offer uh, this for open source projects yes. for free. Yeah. And uh, even uh, Spring, for example, is a well-known framework in yeah. the Java um, enterprise market. And Spring, for example, is checked with Sotograph and uh, Sonar J. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, uh, now Latix. Latix is uh, essentially based on uh, numbers, so you have no graphics uh, mm. support. Also, the import is some... Imp importing source code is some kind of weak, in my opinion. You have no real C++ parser, for example. Mm -hmm. It's done via Doxygen or Microsoft BSD files, which is... Uh, very platform dependent, no real database in memory. Um, you get some kind. You can realize some kind of trend support if you build it yourself via command line. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's not that built in. Uh, however, some people are are using it, and um, for I think for simple projects and for projects with a clean uh, architecture, it it scales. But for really grown projects with, uh, with lots of violations, um, uh, it's difficult to use. Mm -hmm. So the idea is you have a, a matrix, and in that matrix you say who is depending on me, and the column shows using relations, and the rows shows mm -hmm. used by, yeah. and then you can group the artifacts in subsystems and layers and arrange mm -hmm. them in the, in the matrix. They have right. also an example where they uh, show the architecture of the ARNT make tool, mm -hmm. which is uh, yeah. known for Java. And the interesting fact is even in ARNT, there were some violations over time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Despite the fact that it's that reviewed it by lots of lots of people. Yeah. yeah. Clockwork? Clockwork is n not an architectural analysis tool in the first place. It's known for its um, static code analysis yeah. capability. But it has been extended uh, and it displays also the things via graphs and tables. 
The layout algorithms are very weak at the moment, so there's no out-of-the-box functionality where you can, uh, say, arrange this with the spring embedder algorithm uh -huh. um, or things like that. But you can implement it yourself via um, tickle scripts, which is not an optimal approach in my you opinion. You say I shall implement, implement my own layout algorithm in tickle. Um, no, the filtering of the oh, okay. The the filtering of the information right will be uh, implemented uh, in Tickle, and I think they rely on uh, consulting mm -hmm. uh, to do that yeah. at the customer side. Yeah. They support Java and C plus plus. It's also a fat GUI client, and they um, also have a web web report. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are some, some open source tools. As I mentioned, SAML code is uh, at the moment also coming up. It's a Java-only solution and not so performant at the moment, but we'll see how that uh, evolves in uh, over time. Mm -hmm. Also, even uh, Google has some uh, additional plugins for JDPend mm -hmm. uh, to formulate uh, rules. Mm -hmm. So there are also some, some uh, open source alternatives however i should mention uh, our experience was it took us one week to get the numbers via jdpend and sort them out to get an overview of the of a real existing java application and in the same time with another architectural analysis tool we were able to refactor and remove most of the violations in the tool you're saying that it probably is a good investment to buy the commercial tool because the open source tools aren't there yet. Aren't there yet, yes. And it pays off, I think, very quick. Mm -hmm. uh, however, you have to obey the learning curve at the, at the startup. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's uh, wrap this up with a couple of take-home points. So I think today's IDE and build mechanisms are not suited for architectural analysis. Right. You have some basic support some open source tools like JDPend. But um, in my opinion, if you do re real stuff and want to, to keep an eye on the, on the architecture and maintainability of your application, you should use architectural analysis tool. Mm -hmm. So tool support, I think, is very important. It's the same with coding guidelines. You can have your 10 pages coding guideline yeah. and nobody reads it. You yep. have to check this and yes. enforce it automatically. Yes. Otherwise, it's just a document yes. and laying around. I think also the management can be convinced if existing problems become visible. It's an important point. I think the quality of architecture, internal software quality, doesn't pay immediately. Mm -hmm. It pays on the long term. And yes. it's difficult to convince the management to invest in internal quality. And unfortunately, the topic comes up when usually when it's too late. It's too when late application yeah. is not maintainable uh, at all uh, or when you want to remove some module and you drag that module and yeah, everything yeah. comes <laughs> behind yes yeah. also rules will and can be violated there's also a good reason for that you talked about uh, interfaces have been released to to clients yeah. uh, to customers and then you can say okay this rule will uh, there is a deviation i accept this and don't bother anymore so the tools are able to remember that I don't want to be bothered anymore. You check something and then it goes right. away. It's not right. showing up again. Right. Okay, so Banhard, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you.
Thanks for downloading and listening to Software Engineering Radio. Software Engineering Radio is an educational program brought to you by Hillside Europe. If you want more information about the podcast and all the other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website, or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dick, Reddit, Delicious and Slashdot buttons. To contact the team, please send email to team at se-radio.net or if it is specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can react to your comments. This episode of SE Radio as well as all other episodes are licensed under a Creative Commons 2.5 license. Please see the website for details. Thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsafe Music Network for the music used in this show. The song is called Vegas Hard Rock Shuffle.